Good evening, church. Well, we're coming to the end of our 35th anniversary. It's like, it's like, like old Christmas, you know, we do it for like days and days and days. We took it in a whole month to celebrate our 35th. And so over these past few weeks, we've been looking at a little short series on Wednesday night about what's in a name, Grace Covenant Church. And again, this this church, this body of believers was not always known as Grace Covenant Church. This used to be a Maranatha church. Um, you started downtown. Pastor Brett started this church as an outreach. Uh, actually, this church existed. Pastor Brett became the, the pastor here uh, 25, 26 years ago now, I believe that's correct. Um, yeah, good. It's always good to get that right with your employer, by the way. There's certain things, you know, dates, dates of, you know, your birthday of your wife, anniversaries, you know, little, little details like this. Good. But he came here as a campus minister to Howard University many years ago, became senior pastor here, and here we are today. But we weren't always Grace Covenant Church. We started out as a Maranatha Church, and then we had this odd little blip um, a few years back where we were Metro Morningstar to try to better identify with the ministry family of which we were a part of at that time. They changed their name from Morningstar to Every Nation, which they're still that, unless I didn't get the memo and they've changed it again, which is possible. And, um, but we moved back to Grace Covenant Church as we moved back into this building in 2007. But names are important. Names are particularly important because they identify, they bring a unique identifier, be it to an individual, be it to uh, anything whatsoever, it has a name. Something is conjured up when you hear that. For instance, when I hear Angie, it's not just a female name, but it speaks specifically to 39 years of marriage to this amazing woman. And so Angie has a completely different connotation for me than just a name of a woman. Are you with me here? Grace Covenant Church, it's unique. And we looked the first week at the word grace, that undeserved merit, favor of God that makes everything work. And then last week, Pastor Duke unpacked the understanding of the word covenant, a word that in our modern, in, in our modern vernacular means very, very little except how quickly you have to get your garbage can in off the street on Tuesdays and Fridays. Those covenants that you sign off on before you buy a home in that community. But we know that God is always related to mankind by means of what? Covenant. Always. One definition, I think Pastor Duke gave this to you last week, is an unchangeable, divinely imposed agreement between God and man that stipulates the condition of their relationship. That's Wayne Grudem wrote that definition of covenant. And to this end, God has established certain ways by which he relates to us and by which we are to what? To relate back to him. Now, the challenge, of course, is that man, because we are fallen, because of the sin nature, we learn to do things like do what? Break covenant, lie. We're pretty good at that. And yet God has yoked us to a covenant-keeping God. 
God has to empower us to keep our end of covenant. You're aware of that, correct? God really does both ends of it when we get right down to it. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 16 and 17, quoting Jeremiah 31. This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, declares the Lord. I'll put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. And I remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. So we realize that by means of covenant, God is now taken an old covenant, which was one of rules and regulations with pretty dire consequences for breaking covenant. He has perfectly fulfilled that covenant and replaced it with a new and better one through Jesus Christ. Aren't you happy about that? Amen. But tonight we want to conclude and talk about the church. And I've subtitled this, the church, a divine idea and a divine ideal. Let me say that this topic of the church is sort of a life study for me. I love the church. I love everything about it. I'm a church guy. And my wife and I have been in all different sizes and flavors of church. From that little weird basement church that we went to as college students to the first church that she and I became a part of in Rocky Mountain, North Carolina with five other couples in 1980. A church that 15 years later I would wind up being the senior pastor of. Little did we know, moving there at 23 years old, that we would wind up being pastoring that work 15 years later. And I've had, we've had the privilege of being in churches of, of, of all different, or, or the church at all different stages of, of, of infancy and adolescence and maturity. Served in numbers of different capacities. But beyond just the organization of the church, I love the idea of the church as a unique identifier. Talk about a name. As the people of God. Church. It's not a place, it's not an address, it's not a meeting, it's not a time. But it's a unique group of people that God has called out. He's placed himself in the midst of and a people that he's coming back for. I'm passionate about church. I love everything about it. But I'm passionate about it because God is passionate about his church pretty passionate. You don't get any more passionate about something than be willing to exchange your life for it. That defines passion. Not just a strong like or love for something. Matthew, the 16th chapter. Very familiar passage of scripture. Verse 13, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? They said, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, others Jeremiah, one of the prophets. Well, okay, but how about you? What about you? Who do you say that I am? Simon Peter said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Now, can I say to you, we associate revelation with many other figures in Scripture. Again, Elijah, Jeremiah, John the Baptist. But can I say that this right here, this is the cornerstone revelation in all of Scripture. 
This is the greatest piece of revealed information that ever came to a living human being. Right here. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Do you know how many generations had longed to figure that one out? Waiting for this Messiah. And this rough, cursing fisherman, he's the one that heaven opens and deposits this information with. Incredible. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by my father who is in heaven. Jesus hadn't told him. He didn't read this in a book. We didn't have scripture he could pour through, figure this out. There was only one way, and Jesus knew that the only way that Peter knew this was that his daddy had told him. And I tell you that you are Peter. So word play here, and you've heard this before, large rock, small rock, small rock, Petra, Petros. But I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock, I will build my church. And the gates of Hades will not overcome it. And most of us who've been around good, charismatic, Pentecostal things, we know this next verse really well. I'll give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. I don't want to talk about verse 19. I want to talk about verse 18. On this rock, I will build. The very first thing that we understand about church is that God is the one that has to build it. All you and I can do is just not get in the way and mess it up. Cooperate with that which he is doing. Henry Blackaby wrote a book years ago entitled Experiencing God. Very simple premise of the book. And it was this. Find out what God is doing and go do it with him. Let me tell you what God is doing. He is building his church. And regardless of what it might look like, Pastor Brett and I get some different set of statistics and surveys every week that talks about the church is in decline, the mills, the Z's, they're not coming, the black folk aren't coming, the white folk aren't coming, people are disillusioned and they're disenfranchised. You know what the response is? <laughs> Do you know why? Do you know why? Because God is building his church. It hasn't changed. It doesn't matter who is in the White House. It doesn't matter if it's red state, blue state. It makes no difference whatsoever. Guess what? I will build. That hasn't changed. And it's not going to change until he comes back for this church. And that gives me great hope because God said it. I am going to do something. That takes the pressure off of Pastor Brett. It takes the pressure off of me as a pastor and elder in this house. It's not, it's not us, up to us to build. 
We can't build anything. But God will allow us to participate and cooperate with him. Are you with me? I will build. And then a very simple statement. My church. He doesn't say, I will build your church. I will build a church for you. He said, I will build my church. Let me just tell you, that possessive pronoun says volumes. That's important. That we let the weight and the gravitas of my church get deep on the inside of us. But it flowed first from divine revelation of the rock of revelation of Jesus as the Christ. This is what the church is about. The rock he was speaking about was the rock of the revelation of himself. It wasn't about Peter. Okay, great, Peter, you were there. Daddy talked to you. But it's not being built on you. It's being built on me. It's being built on the revelation of who I am. This is the primary distinctive of the church. It's not what we do, but it's to whom we are identified with and to whom we belong. This is what the church is. My church, possessive. And the church is God's, it's a divine idea. It's a divine idea. And in that, there is a divine ideal for you and I to discover. God's idea is that he would always have an identifiable people. Whether it was known as a nation, a people, Israel, or whether it be known today as church. We talk about name. God had a name, my people, my chosen people, Israel, my beloved, church, ecclesia, the called out ones, identified as his. Hebrews 8, verse 10, again, speaking of covenant, this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel. And at the end of that verse, he says, I will be their God and they will be my people. It's him being their God and that people being reflective of who he is. And the ideal is the realization of that on the earth. Is that we're not just people that have our rituals, our liturgies in terms of what we do when we come together. But our distinctive is a people that God dwells in their midst. And not just when they walk into this room at 4600 Brookfield, but that when they are in your presence, they are in God's presence because you as the church, you are now the habitation of God himself. 
Oh, yes, we, we see increasing numbers of people that seem to be wanting spirituality without all of the fuss and muss of having to put your britches on and come to church on Sundays. Oh, I can just dial it in. I can dial it up. I mean, I can, I can find me a better preacher than you, preacher. I mean, they, we got God. I can, I can just get the best from all over the world and sit right here with my bunny slippers on and my donuts. <laughs> I just don't like that organized religion, Pastor Paul. It's that, that organized religion. As opposed to what? Disorganized religion? <laughs> Help me. Well, I don't even know what that looks like. I guess that's everybody coming and doing whatever it is they want to do. I don't know. But let me tell you, it's only in the context of the church being the church that your spirituality ever develops. It's amazing how spiritual you can be by yourself. You can be a spiritual giant until somebody interrupts your stuff. Isn't that the truth? I mean, you know, you may have thought you were the man or woman of God, and then God gives you a man or a woman called a husband or a wife. And you begin to realize that you don't have a spiritual cell in your body. Well, then you discover three or four spiritual cells and you think that you're on the road to sanctification and holiness. And then God gives you little people. Cheerings. And the last little bit of spirituality that you thought you had attained, it leaves again. And then God puts you together with a group of folk like this who all just aggravating. It's like grandma used to say, boy, you're just trifling. Trifling. And so God then throws us all together and we're all different kinds of people and we're interested in different things and we got different little colloquialisms. We like different food and we like different sports teams and all of this and throws us together and say, now love one another <laughs> and do it deeply. <laughs> Show the world that you're something different than they are. And you thought you were spiritual. And sister, so sad, blew you off in, this, in the lobby. What's her name? Sister, so sad. She's the one you learn to avoid. Good morning, how you doing? Well, let me tell you. It's like, please don't. We didn't get Paul the prophet, the truth truck. I got a word for you. We're a weird bunch of folk that God puts together. And you see in the workplace, you know, you can deal with that. 
You just turn them into HR. But God dumps us together in the church and begins to shake us up together. Says, I want to make you a people. And yet folk think, oh, I'm too spiritual for all that. I, 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 don't, I don't need all of this. It's messy. It's messy. We all like our stuff. We like our life neat. We know where everything is. But I like it lined out. I don't need that church stuff. It's just outdated. It's old. You know, Jesus only used the word church twice. Interesting. He spoke of the kingdom over a hundred times, but only used the word church two times. And you hear many people say, oh, I'm all about the kingdom. Is that church thing? But theologians said it really well, that the church is to the kingdom what lungs are to breathing. You can't express the kingdom if it's not being expressed through the church. You can't have kingdom on the earth aside from church. Here it is. Look around. Say, this is not what I signed up for. <laughs> no, but it's what you got. And part of the disillusionment is that the church seems to be getting at times increasingly harder to define and delineate Something truly divine and distinctive in that so often it so blends well into its surroundings. At times, becoming so temporally relevant as to become eternally irrelevant. Let me say that again. The church becoming so temporally relevant as to become eternally irrelevant. Irrelevant. You know, something camouflaged is designed to look like everything else around it. So it can't really be seen. I think that's, no, that's just a tree. No, that's just, no. God never intended the church to be camouflaged in the rest of the culture. Now, we've got words we've developed for that. Come on. Missional. Relevant. Contemporary. We want to be like the world so we can attract the world. That is not at all about being all things to all men. That is not what was meant by that. God always intended for his people to be a little weird. In the world is why we're called aliens and strangers. You've been around somebody from another culture. It's like, you don't talk right. You like to eat that? And we look at them like, what planet did you land off of? Aliens and strangers is what we're sojourners through all of this. This is not our home. Do you realize that we're, we're, we're just racking up Marriott rewards. 
That's all we're doing. And the more you stay, the more rewards I get. I don't know, but how it works. But we're just checking in for a moment. And you go in the Marriott, you're not hanging your pictures on, taking the pictures down, painting my pictures on the wall. And you're, not, you're not bringing your furniture in and you don't have a U-Haul behind you and you're redecorating the room. You just realize this ain't home. It don't smell right. Cooking ain't like mama's. This doesn't feel quite right. But I'm here for a moment. Do you realize that's what it should feel like to you? And at times, it's not only going to feel a little weird, it's going to be a little uncomfortable. Congratulations. I hope that the more that we become identified and be the people of God, the church, I hope we continue to get uncomfortable in the world. It is our discomfort with everything going on around us. Not just our offense with it, ladies and gentlemen. That's different. Go get with the cross and deal with your offense. There's a lot to be offended about. But I'm talking about the discomfort. I got to tell you, and I hate to say this aloud, but I'm going to say it. I've come to distrust my comfort. You know why? Because rarely in my places of comfort is Jesus being revealed to me. Rarely in those places of my comfort is real change coming into my life. And I stand in the fear and trembling of God to even say that out loud. Trust me. Jesus, I didn't say that. (laughs) But you see believers and they just get more and more comfortable. We've learned to adapt. We've learned to use the right language and we've learned to sip a beer and we've learned to say those jokes and, you know, not correct those kinds of things when, you know, we realize they're not just offensive to us, they're offensive to God. We just kind of, I'm rolling with it because I'm, I'm being evangelistic. <laughs> really? And what gives you credibility at whatever point to pull the trigger and say, just kidding, by the way, let me talk about Jesus. Wow. And the church to many people is just seen, seen as an empty canvas that I can write anything on it I want to. People all the time, you know what would be good? It'd be good. We, we, should, put in a, we, should, we should put in a donut machine. And we should, and, and we could put in a latte bar. And you see churches and they're doing just that. And people are like, we just, we're going to make this anything we want it to be. People have been telling Pastor Brett how to run this church for decades. You think I'm kidding? Why don't we do this? Usually it's not we, it's why don't you do this? Because that would make me more comfortable here. Hmm. We could really improve upon this, Pastor. It's only one problem. It's not, the church is not a man idea. The church is a divine idea. Our work is to discover what that idea is 
and to become the fullest expression of that ideal. I've used this analogy before, but you know, they're, 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 they're folk that get on a big airplane that costs millions of dollars and is owned by an airline and they're going somewhere and a hijacker gets on their plane with a noble purpose. I'm going to make a statement. So they hijack a plane. And most hijackers, it's not random with these guys. They really, they've got something they want to say. They want to express himself. You know, people treat the church many times exactly the same way. It's not your plane. It's not your flight plan. You didn't die for it. You didn't purchase it. It ain't your plane. And yet those hijackers, they get on there all big and bad and busting up in there. And they're like, I got a higher idea for what this thing should be. I got another idea of where this plane should go today. I don't care what flight plan was filed with the FAA. This is where we're going. Oh, my. And we've seen the church hijacked for lots of good purposes. A champion of moral and political causes. A place for the broken and disenfranchised, training centers for leadership, sending centers for mission and ministry. And let me say, they're mostly good and mostly biblical. And I'm not saying that we don't do those things, but it's not what defines us, is what I'm saying. So what does it look like? 1 Peter 2 It says, as aliens and strangers, I've already referenced this, verse 11, live such godly lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and not pat you on the head and give you an award. What does it say? And do what? Glorify God on the day he visits us. The intention is not that we do good to I must be a great organization you're in because you're not nearly the jerk that you used to be. That's not what this is about. It's always been about and will continue to be about God, his church, his people. And that the etymology of that word ecclesia, it means called out, called out of what? Called out of being what you were, called out of this thing. Because there's this, this system of the world that continually is so attractive to us that woos us continually, 24-7, and it never shuts off. Called out, an ascetic people living above and beyond. But do we look any different? than our Gentile counterparts. Our food, our clothes, our consumption, our conversation. And the message of this gospel, listen, is both antagonistic and anachronistic. And it's intended to cut across a therapeutic, narcissistic culture that says... This isn't about you. This is about me. I died for you. So guess what? You can die every day. Oh, pastor, that's not how I heard it. 
I heard that he died so I could live. Yeah. A few decades from now. Yes, there's life and life more abundantly, but not the way the world defines it. Hear me. I died so you can die. Oh, my. Somehow, that's not going to be a conference that's going to sell out in 2018. <laughs> Come to Kansas City, death 2018. <laughs> People ain't flying in for that one. Trust me. It's a pretty countercultural message. Come and serve one that gave everything for you so that you can in turn pour your life back out for him. You mean I'm signing up for this? You already have. Don't remember that. <laughs> no, you didn't. See, God has to trick us into this stuff. Because if we'd seen all the fine print, oh my. What does the church do? And I've got to move through this quickly, but this word ecclesia, yes, it means called out, but there's another definition of this word. See, Jesus had this annoying habit of using these double entendre words that really aggravated those in authority in his day. You see, this word ecclesia also has a political governmental definition. And it literally, it literally means to serve in a civil capacity as a governing arm or cabinet of a governor or king. Further etymology of the word, it's much more complicated than just ecclesia. God has made you and I a governing body. Amen. Representing, come on, a king. Amen. Now we've, We'll get to this in a minute, but 2 Corinthians 5, we know God's made us ambassadors. But this is where our government emanates from. It's in the church. We're selected to serve on the cabinet of the king. And the church is the repository of the kingdom as it reflects and represents God and his rule. But what and how are we reflecting that? One of my favorite questions to ask, is Jesus easy to find? When somebody walks into this building, is Jesus easy to find? Nice building, nice people, competent communication, worship, yes. We've got all this going on, but let me just tell you, if people walk away and all they can talk about is how great Tiffany sings and how great Pastor Brett communicates, and they don't walk away having had an encounter with God, we have failed in our mission. Because as great as these people are, let me just tell you, there are a bunch in the wings that are just as good, if not better. Not taking anything away from anybody. They said, what should be found should be Christ in his church. We had this old charismatic ditty we sang a thousand years ago. Christ in your church, God be glorified. We used to sing that chorus. The church is a repository of truth. 
1 Timothy 3, 15, the pillar, God's household, the church, the pillar and foundation of truth. The church, the repository of wisdom. Ephesians 3, that is now through the church that the manifold wisdom of God may be known to rulers, powers, and authorities in the heavenly places. But it's not just out there, it's here as well. It reflects but also represents. Once again, is that governing body appointed, anointed. We are ambassadors, it says in 2 Corinthians. And there's a unique role in all of this. It's called a theocracy. It's not a democracy. It's not a federal republic. It's not sanctified socialism. It's a theocracy. There's one throne and it doesn't have a tandem seat. God himself sits alone in that place. He sits alone as the head of the church. Period. Man is not in charge. Oh, he gives us the illusion of control at times. Not a scary thing. Come on. We do the same thing to our children sometimes, don't we? We give them the illusion of control. Say, all right, here's your choice for dinner. Would you like macaroni and cheese or cheese and macaroni? You have a choice. Now, Tragically, the choices laid out before us are more vast than that. But the reality is God gives us the illusion of control. One of the great theological debates of the ages is the sovereignty of God versus the what? Free will of man. Let me tell you, walk with God for a moment. You'll figure that one out for yourself. And I'm not going to clue you in. Except to say, is his church. I will build my church. My church. And guess what? You and I, not just as the least common denominator. See, that's, what, that's not what God looks at. But the greatest common denominator. You see. God sees among us reflections of himself. He puts his spirit on the inside of us. He enables us. He empowers us to do right, to think right, to say right. But again, not just so that we can win the acclamation of men, but that can we receive the affirmation of daddy. That well done is not how much I got done and how competently it happened, but the well done is son. You learn how to get out of the way and let me be God. Boy, that, that'll, that'll, that'll change. That, that'll, that'll upset the way many of us live our life right there. His house, his sheep, his church. Second Corinthians 1, and I'll stop with this. He said he set his seal of ownership on us. Oh, yeah, he told Peter in that moment, 
I will build. It's my church. But he goes one step further. He's so intent on this. He says he placed his seal of ownership on us by doing what? By depositing the Holy Spirit in our life. Guaranteeing what is to come. There it is. It's like walking into a store and you've made an exchange of some type of remuneration for some type of article. And you have the article, but you also have, sometimes you're getting ready to walk through those doors. You ever had, am I the only one that freaks out that you'd like, they didn't scan my thing. And I'm going to get through these doors and they're going to go off. And everybody's going to stare at me like, thief! And so, I don't know about you, but I walk out with my thing in one hand and my receipt in the other one. (laughs) Hey, paid for, look, ownership. You realize God is so intent on this thing. That's the receipt in your life. It's the operation of his spirit, spiritual gifts operating fluently, regularly throughout your life. You say, oh, Pastor Jim, I don't need that whole talking in tongues thing. Let me just tell you something, baby. Every time you do it, you're whipping that receipt out and saying, yeah, yeah. Look who bought me, paid for, purchased, baby. And the enemy comes and tries to steal and accuse you. You whip that receipt out. This is what the church is. See, the world, they got baby daddy drama. They're all orphans and illegitimate running around trying to figure out who daddy is. Talk about daddy issues. Oh, they got it. They really do. But we come into this thing called the church. Where father is revealed to us, regardless of what the the, the picture and the example of a natural father might have been. But a perfect father finally gets exemplified and manifested to us. And all of a sudden, you you don't hate your daddy? You you, you love your daddy? Your daddy loves you? I've never heard this. You've never been on Oprah, have you? Omari, excuse me. This is why the church looks different. It's why we are different. Are you with me? Because I will build my church. That's why we're called Grace Covenant Church. Because we love that word. Because we love everything that it represents. Amen.